Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, folks, and welcome one more time to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin. I'm here with Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing, my friend? I'm looking forward to being with you today. Great. and glad we're here. And friends, thanks for joining us. If you're here for the first time, we're in the midst of a series of discussions, chapter by chapter, through Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. Wow, what a title, because pain certainly can seem to be lonely. And last week, my friend, if you remember, we had a very engaging conversation about is there a purpose to our pain? And we reached the conclusion that's the same as what Apostle Paul reached in 2 Corinthians 4, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in us. Did I remember that right? You sure did. What a great chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. Amen. So we're going to ask another hard question today, my friend. We're going to talk about a radical response to pain. No, for the past several weeks, we've talked about how we usually respond. We ignore it. We deny it. We whine and complain. We scream. We get in fights. We do all these things to respond to our pain. And you propose in this chapter a radical response, how we can respond to our pain in a way that perhaps we've never thought about doing before. And you begin... I thought this was curious. You begin with a nursery rhyme and it's the Humpty Dumpty rhyme. And for those of our listeners who don't know this U.S., so I guess it's uh, it's maybe Western Europe too, nursery rhyme, it's Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could put Humpty together again. And Frank, as I pondered that nursery rhyme, it really describes well how pain and trauma can affect us. Generally, it's unexpected. It's an emotional crash and fall. It results in a fractured life, a plea for help. And here's the part I want to get to while we're talking today. Well-meaning people show up trying to do what they can to help us, but they don't really know what to do. So, what went through your mind in choosing that nursery rhyme to begin? <laughs> well, you know, John, I was just meditating on it. And we read things so many times without contemplating. And it's a children's nursery rhyme. But my goodness, it is actually a declaration of what happens in real life. We're trucking along, having a great old time. And then all of a sudden, wham, we get knocked off our perch. Our lives are shattered. And like you said, all of those people come around us with the goal, really, to try to help us. And most of them are trying to fix us. But unfortunately, many times there is no fix. 
the egg was a perfect choice. Most people don't know that Humpty was an egg. That's our assumption when you see it in the pictures of the nursery rhymes. But if it was an egg, it's a great picture because once you break an egg, you can't unbreak it. It's broken. And so what do we do? Well, we try to make the best eggs we can. We put cheese and onions and salsa. And, and I think that was a great introduction to this chapter. And one of the things I think that's fascinating, John, in that little nursery rhyme, there's no mention of the king. It says all the king's horses and men tried to fix it. And in a sense, I got the idea that Humpty was kind of looking to all those king's horses and men. But the king wasn't even mentioned. He sat on the sidelines. Uh, he wasn't invited in. And it got me thinking, isn't that the way most of us handle our trauma? We try to fix it ourselves, or we look to other people to try to fix it. And there stands the king, ready to intervene with all that he is. But we don't have that look of faith toward him. And so we're kind of left alone in the misery. And that's how we introduce this chapter to kind of introduce a radical response, which is instead of recoiling from pain, instead of anesthetizing our pain, instead of ignoring our pain or trying to not think about our pain, what would happen if we sat down in it and said, God, will you meet me here? And that really formed the basis for this chapter. Wow. You know, Frank, you and I have been walking side by side for many years. I've done some counseling. You, of course, have done decades of intense counseling. And people come. This description of Humpty Dumpty, this is not a once-in-a-while problem. Every one of us faces uh, hurts and wounds and traumas and pains and disappointments uh, like this. And sometimes we'll have the courage to go to the church, go to our mm -hmm. pastors, go to our elders and say, man, I'm dying on the inside because of what happened. Can you help me? Mm. And so few places have the ability, and the training, or I should say the mindset and the heart to come alongside, wrap their arms around and walk with people until they can be healed. Because this is, mm. this is just not taught. Uh, in a wide spectrum of modern churches. They're into salvation. They're into the gospel. They're into programs. They're into getting the word out. They're into discipling. But I tell you something, they're not into the very key mission of our Savior, which was to mend the brokenhearted and to free the captive. So in a very big way, the modern church is missing an opportunity to be a hospital, mm. aren't they? Yes, sir. You know, John, in the book, we actually mentioned that where I'll ask people, why did Jesus come to this planet? And almost the universal answer is he came to die for my sins. He came to bring me to heaven. He came to bring life to me. Uh, all these different thoughts, which are wonderful and true. 
but it's fascinating. The actual account in the Gospel of Luke, you know, Jesus is raised in anonymity. And anonymity, is that the right word? That's, that's close <laughs> enough. Nobody knew him. How about that? <laughs> there you go. Nobody knew him. He's just the son of Mary and Joseph, the carpenter's kid. But at age 30, he goes and gets baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. The Father affirms him. And it's time. I love that phrase. It's time for the public ministry of Jesus to begin. First thing he does is go into the desert and do battle with Satan, which is basically to announce, I'm going to crush your head, which is exactly the promise from Genesis 3. Satan, of course, tries to deter him from his mission. He will not be deterred. He wins that battle, comes back into the public arena, goes into the synagogue, picks up the scrolls to announce his ministry, and he reads Isaiah 61. That's right. The Holy Spirit is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to comfort the brokenhearted, to give a garland of praise to those who mourn. He came, John, to minister to hurting people, not in his death and resurrection, but in the moment of their pain. My goodness, John, when you said the church is missing it, I think most churches have an agenda of getting people into heaven, but they are missing this agenda of perhaps the means by which that can happen, which is meet people where they are and comfort them. Can I run with that for just a sure, minute, John? Sure, go ahead. I've got some um, thoughts, but I'll let you go first. I learned this in a profound way before I was ever ordained. Came to Christ late in life. So I was like a, a beaver for the Bible. I'm trying to grab every opportunity I can to learn. And there was an internship offered during a summer at USC Med Center in the chaplain's office. So I thought, boy, I need to learn about death and dying and sickness. So I was in there and it was about, you know, an eight in the morning to six o'clock at night thing. And it's exhausting to be, you know, ministering to hurting people all day in a burn ward and a cancer ward. And so I'm heading home. And it's been a long day. I turn a corner and I run into a childhood friend. And he said, Frank. And I said, Greg. And he said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm a doctor. And I said, well, we kind of knew that and was going to happen. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm a, in the chaplain's office. He went, what? <laughs> you know, you it, it, yeah, kind of an abrupt change. But after we were done with our talk, he said, well, this is really ironic. He said, I ran into you. I've got a guy who will probably die tonight and the family's torn up. Could you go meet with them? And I was so tired, but I said, sure. I went up into the room. There was a man, just broken shell of a man. And I assumed the daughter was hanging over him, just weeping. I walked in the room. She turned around and looked at me and said, are you a doctor? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm from the chaplain's office. And she wasn't happy. She said, what can you do? And you know, John, it would have been very easy to say, well, here's my card if you need me. It would have been very easy to try and schmooze her with a bunch of language and verbiage. But it was weird. The Holy Spirit was putting me under a compulsion. 
and I have to give him the credit because this is not how I would normally respond. I mean, that's kind of an awkward situation, you know, let's, let's just get out of here. But he had me sit down. And as I just sat there and I didn't say a word and every few minutes, she would turn around and look at me with a glare. And I just sat there and John, I sat there for over 45 minutes. Mm. And finally she turned around and looked at me and she said, my daddy's going to die tonight. And I said, no, baby, Dr. Greg told me. And she said, is he going to go to heaven? At which point I told her, well, if he has received Christ, has he? And she said, well, I don't know. I said, would you like me to share with him? So I invited her to leave the room. And in the grace of God, this guy was a thief on the cross. He received Christ before he died. In follow-up with the family, they asked me to do the funeral. And in future follow-up, I was allowed the privilege of leading that family to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And John, it wasn't because of my verbiage. It was because I simply sat down and shut up and lived as a vessel that was saying, I'll sit down with you. I'll be here for comfort. And wow, you talk about making an impact on my life. Now, I don't always respond like that, but... I think this is what the Holy Spirit's trying to get all of us to become, is vessels of the compassion of God. The church seems to focus so heavily on uh, the Great Commission. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But they really start at the opposite end of the life of Jesus. They should start with that passage where he stands up in the synagogue. And he reads from Isaiah and he says, mend the brokenhearted and free the captive. That's the first picture he gave of himself. I am here to bring healing and freedom to God's people. I'm thinking of Galatians chapter six, verse one, where Paul says, if you're trapped by a sin, restore those people who need help if they're caught in a sin. And that word restore is actually to dive into their pain and help to fix it like a physician sets a broken bone. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you have to get pretty intimately associated with the area that's in pain for them before you Mm -hmm. can apply your skill and bring them relief. And I think this is, this is the template for us, that mm. Jesus says, you know, don't be afraid to dive into the deep end of their pool mm. and swim with them until you can help them to get out of the pool and rest on the side. And so to me, once again, it paints a picture of the mission of a church to be a hospital In addition to being a seminary, I don't want to discount the Mm -mm. teaching of scripture. Absolutely not. not. Absolutely not. And and training people in in scripture and the written word is marvelous and so critical. 
but the church needs to be a hospital too. And my friend, I think I can count on one hand and have maybe a few fingers left over where being a hospital was on a preacher's job description. Maybe you have more experience than I, but uh, I haven't seen it very often. You know, it's interesting, but the major motivating factor behind many of Jesus' miracles in the Gospels was compassion. It says many times he had compassion on her and then he healed her. He had compassion on them and then he fed them. He had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. Some people ask me what that means, John, a definition. I would define compassion as the verb form of love. Love is the noun, it's the attitude, it's the state of the heart, but compassion is the expression. It's the affirming evidence that the love is there. I try to look at life from your shoes and even step into your shoes to meet you where you are with what I can bring into this situation. And it, unfortunately, John, it is a very rare virtue. Indeed it is, and it should not be so. Our mm -hmm. Savior certainly has, um, not only did he set an example for us, but it's more than that. He empowers us. He lives in us. So mm -hmm. if we have the mind of Christ, that mind focused on compassion is ours. Mm. If we will turn to it, I don't want to bash the church, my friend. We certainly, mm -hmm. uh, we certainly don't want to do that, but we have missed the boat largely in the church today. Mm. Okay. I want to move on to another comment that you made earlier. You talked about owning our pain. And the example you use was we deny, we're standing in shock, we minimize, we medicate because of our pain. But once an egg is broken, you can't unbreak it. You can try, but you're going to make a mess. And so you, use, you said, so add some veggies and bacon and cheese and chorizo and salsa, and so make an omelet. And your point was that we've got to own our pain. It is ours. Jesus certainly owns it, and he's willing to go there with us but we own the broken egg. And so comment on your comment, elaborate if you will. Sure. When we look at Job, you know, Job had all those horrible things happen, but in Job, he says at the end, basically, I used to say, I knew you and I heard about you, but now I know you. And that's really, I think what this thing is all about. And so you've mentioned, I think last time, we spent a lot of time on the issue of journey. We talked about it somewhat again today. We're all on a journey of diving deeper into God. Paul said in Philippians 3, I've not arrived yet. And that's an amazing statement for the guy who taught the finished work of Christ. <laughs> but he says, you know, I'm, I'm not arrived and, and not in this. And he's not saying in terms of his perfect standing, his righteous identity, but he's talking about knowing a God that's infinite in such a way that his life manifests that. So we're all on a journey of greater discovery of who God is. And pain, when it hits, we must allow it in our lives so that we can find God in a way we never would have known him without it. And so, John, when we deny our pain, 
When we recoil and anesthetize and refuse to think about it, we don't have a starting point for a journey. That would be like dropping a person off in the middle of the Rocky Mountains without a compass and without a map. There's no journey for him to go on because there's no starting point. That's I'm trying to say in this book, our starting point is instead of fighting against the pain, receive it. And then the map becomes the word of God. The Holy Spirit becomes our compass. And we then using those and trusting the Holy Spirit, we now will go on a journey. And because of the pain, because of the experience, find God just like Job did in a way we never knew him. You know, in Isaiah 53, we see a picture of our Savior, and it describes him as a man of sorrows. And uh, King James says, mm. acquainted with grief. That's not a good <laughs> translation. No. Fully, intimately aware, knowledgeable, he knows grief. And you know what else, Frank? He knows our grief, too. Mm. He knows yes. our pain. He knows our trauma. He knows it inside out and upside down, and he invites us on a journey to enter that, to own it, so that he can explain it to us mm. in time. So he already knows about it, and he wants us to learn about it just as he knows, so that we can see his hand and say, Yea, though the fig tree never produces fruit and nothing blossoms like Habakkuk said, there's no fruit, there's no wine, there's no sheep, there's no nothing. Yet will I praise thee. That's mm. where he wants to take us, but we've got to own our pain first. Mm. And you know, John, that's the exact same. Habakkuk is a great book. It's a great testimony, but that's the same path Jesus was on. You know, I don't like this cross. We talked about that last time. Is there any other way? But I know my father and my father's will is always good. And my father's love is always constant. And so if there is no other way, I will receive this. And that's exactly what Habakkuk did. The Chaldeans are coming. Is there any other way out of this? Well, no, there isn't. Trust me. Okay, well, then what do I know? My father is good. My father is powerful. My father loves me. Okay, bring on the Chaldeans. And this is exactly our path. Uh, receive the pain and find God like you never, ever knew him before. I've had so many people, John, do this radical response over 40 years. And you know what they say to me? They say things like, I wouldn't change a thing in my life. If the only way to find God the way I know him was to go through that stuff, I'd go through it again. Now, I've had some people who say, I still wish there was another way. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I get that completely. I say that myself. But I still wouldn't trade the way I know God today. Uh, for anything. And I wish it didn't have to involve all that I've walked through. But if if that was the tool God used to show me what he really is like, just like Paul said, 
take this thorn away, take this thorn away. No, Paul, I can't. You've had too much revelation. Uh, you might glory in that revelation. This thorn will make you weak. And when you're weak, you'll trust me and I'll be your strength. John, this is a consistent message throughout Old and New Testament. Instead of fighting against the difficulty, receive it. Why? I think Genesis 50, 20. Those evil men, they mean it for evil. But God, in the same circumstance, means it for my good. So if that's the case, I can receive it because I'm going to be finding God in a way I never knew him. Yes, indeed. You use this phrase, Frank, and it's almost like it's a step beyond owning our pain. You use the phrase, sit down in your pain. That's a different word picture. Before we get mm. to sit down, I want to just comment just briefly on ways that the enemy might be able to twist the fact that we own our pain. You know, if it's our pain, we might be tempted to magnify it. Mm. Say, yes, I've got mm -hmm. pain. Man, I've got amazing pain. You can't believe the pain I have. It hurts so much. I can't even talk to God about it. Mm. That's one potential lie. But the result is that when you do that, you don't heal. You just survive. And instead of being a living, breathing person, expressing the life of God, we almost come to become in many ways like emotional zombies mm. instead mm -hmm. of God's kids. Mm -hmm. And we, we can sit paralyzed at the base of the wall, just like Humpty Dumpty, mm -hmm. instead of turning to the king. So there's a step beyond owning our pain. And that's sitting down in it, even if it's the most miserable place you can imagine, and then inviting God to meet you there. So you make that point in the book pretty strongly. Elaborate on that for us, if you will. Oh, goodness. Well, this will skip ahead to the next chapter, John, but that's okay. We can knock out two in one week. <laughs> this thought process, of course, was taken, as I just said, from scripture. It's all over the place. But Janet went to a craft show and she was very proud of herself. She came home with a plaque and she said, I got you a present. It's a plaque. And, you know, plaques for me, I, I just, I don't like Christian cliche and trite things, you know? And she said, you got to hear the story. Well, the story was, she asked the lady about it and Janet thought it was maybe made from a mold and it was mass produced, but it turned out this lady it was unique to her. She was sitting at her clay working, had the thought in her brain, wrote it down and said, oh, that's nice. I'll make a plaque. So Janet told her, well, I'm buying this because you made it for my husband. It's his story. And the lady was relieved. She said, oh, so you know what it means? And Janet was shocked. She said, don't you know what it means? Aren't you a Christian? And the lady said, no, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Isn't that amazing? So Janet went on to tell her what the meaning of the plaque she had made. Well, I was all prepared then. She pulled it out and this is what the plaque says. It says, Grace sat down with me until I could walk again. And John, I have it on my dresser. It's the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning. When we call people to sit down in their pain, this is not a masochistic choice. It is 
something that you're setting your eyes on God, because he'll sit down with you. He'll be with you. He'll comfort you. He'll give you truth for the lies you've been believing. And then when you're ready to, and that's a great thought, he'll sit with you as long as it takes. You know, Job's friends got impatient. He'll never get impatient. He'll stay with you as long as he needs to, till you're ready to get up again and start walking. And then as scripture says in Isaiah, he'll pick you up. He'll uphold you with his strong right hand. So this really, John, was my testimony. I sat down in a lot of pain, but I found God there. And what was amazing was in the next months, as I was writing this book, I called a dear friend of mine who has lost his son to cancer. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, we're just starting to walk out of the valley of death. And so I asked him, how are you doing it? And it was amazing. He said, we just had to sit down in this because we realized we couldn't fight against it. And we asked God to meet us there. And I went, oh, my goodness. Then I met with my neighbor. They had to institutionalize their son because he's extremely autistic. Their mama, papa hearts are broken. I said, how are you doing? She said, well, we're doing okay. We just had to sit down in this and ask God to meet us. So I'm starting to hear this consistent thought, John. And then there's a dear friend of mine over in San Antonio. His brother was murdered years ago. And one day we were talking through his pain. And I said these words. I said, you know, my friend, there's no manual for this. There's no guidebook. And out of his mouth shot some amazing words, John. He said, Papa, he calls me Papa. He said, no, Papa, there is no manual. There is only Emmanuel. Wow. God, God with us. Emmanuel is our manual. And I'm goosebumping right now, John, even <laughs> though I've, I wrote it in the book, it, I, I know what I'm going to say. It still causes me to just go, oh, my goodness. Wow. He will sit down with us until we're ready to walk again. And then he'll walk with us. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's Psalm 23. You know, he's, he's the good shepherd. Uh, pursuing us with his goodness and mercy and leading us out of the valley of the shadow of death into the banquet that he has prepared. And this is radical, John. Pain is painful. Uh, we want to get rid of it. We don't want to think about it. it. It's radical to sit down in it. But when we find God, we're, it's going to be a, a supernatural experience. Yes, indeed. Well, my friend, as we're getting close to wrapping this up, I want to talk about one more character from Scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's a gentleman named Jacob. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I just want to launch from Genesis chapter 32, where he's on his way back, meet his family, meet his brother, and he's wrestling with God. And God touches him in the hollow of his thigh, cripples him. And this hard, struggling man finally is able to have his attention turned to God in the midst of his pain. And uh, 
he learned a lesson at that time, Frank, didn't he? What was that lesson? Well, you know, it was interesting, John. He was a very self-functioning guy. He was a manipulator. We, we read in that scripture, he got that birthright away from Esau by deceiving his father. He's a stinker. And the thing that I love about this, John, a lot of our pain was caused by someone else, or it was caused by a disease, or it was caused by a death or an accident. But with Jacob, what I find so much hope in, in his story, he brought it on himself. <laughs> and so the standard saying of the day is you made your bed, go sleep in it, big boy. You know, that's the way the world treats people. But our God is so gracious. He includes Jacob in this same thesis, in this same uh, economy, the same method. If you will sit down in your stuff, even if you caused it. That's right. I'll meet you. And you'll find me and I'll strengthen you and I'll comfort you and you'll walk again. And what was so cool in that passage was four separate times. God says to Jacob, behold, 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 behold. It's almost like he's yelling at a little kid that just doesn't listen. That's Jacob. But what he tells him is when he's finally got his attention. I'll fulfill my promise to you, son. And I'll bring you to where I promised you would be. It's almost like God is saying, you know what? I'm going to be good to you in spite of you. And boy, isn't that encouraging for all of us. (laughs) It certainly is to me. That's for sure. You know, I'm listening to you, my friend. And uh, I know we cause a lot of our own pain and trauma dumb things, foolish decisions, just knee-jerk reactions to circumstances without thinking, without praying, without inviting God into the midst of it. And we can make a real mess of things. But you know, despite all of that, our Father has promised us freedom. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I have come to make you free, period. Mm -hmm. And as I think about freedom in the sense of our context of pain and suffering and trauma, I'm defining it now in my brain this way. Freedom is not a point of view or turning back the clock so that it didn't happen or we deny it or we lock it away in our memory. Freedom is knowing and recognizing all the circumstances but walking because our pain doesn't hamstring us anymore. We can walk again. Mm -hmm. Now, Jacob walked with a limp, and that's Mm -hmm. okay because we need to walk with a limp too and lean fully on our father. Mm. And so freedom means you can live your life not being hamstrung Mm -hmm. by that thing that happened to you any longer. Yeah, not being defined by it anymore. Oh, yeah, that's a good Uh, way of saying it. Yeah, and I hear Christians very often, John, taking a scripture but changing the word, and we're getting a very illusionary meaning from it. I don't find anywhere in the word of God where God promises us 
victory over our circumstances. What I find is that he promises us victory in them. That is huge. He is that big, that good, that though we may experience something, we'd love to change what happened, but we can't. And yet he will still provide us freedom and victory in that circumstance. And that's a really big God. And that's a God we can trust. Yes, sir. It is. And he is. Yes. So my friend, that's a great wrap up phrase. And my friends, I'd like to just say one more thing before we sign off. If you ever receive an email from me and Frank receives many, so he knows this, the bottom of my email, there's a signature. And I almost always sign off with this walk close. And when things get tough, lean in closer because the tendency is to do just the opposite. So walk close dear friends. And when things get tough, lean in closer. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been chatting now for the past six episodes or so on Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. Check it out on Amazon. It's probably out now by the time this is broadcast. Check out our website to ourresolutehope.com. Look around, see the resources we have available. Pop us an email, sign up for a newsletter. Check out our newest members portal, sign up for that. And don't forget also to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and all those other things that I'm really too old to understand and enjoy. And as always, <laughs> uh, we close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter six. We remind you that you, no matter what your miserable circumstances, no matter your pain, you have a hope, a living hope, Peter calls it, a resolute hope, we call it, that's an anchor for our souls. So in the midst of your pain today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.